This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Our next speaker is Finn uh, Grattan. And uh, Finn is a somatic psychotherapist in private practice in Santa Cruz and Mountain View in California. Finn's clinical and educational work are focused on the intersections of trauma, neurodiversity, somatic therapy, sexual and gender minorities. They identify as non-binary, transgender, and as neuroqueer. Please give your attention now to Finn. All right, thank you. You know, I, uh, I mostly present to kind of trans conferences, and it's a really wonderful opportunity to be at this conference. I've learned a lot. I now know why they have that big sign on my, on my dental providers that says, uh, don't ever put that little sucky thing in Finn's mouth. Um, <laughs> because I flail and knock everybody away. And uh, so I think it's like I get new people. They said, you knew. And they said, it's like this whole big page on the front. Um, okay. So I know we're at the place, like we're at like the 2.30 place in the conference. And I'm hoping we can, which is, to, or the symposium, which is like, whoa. Um, so if you need to move around or sit back or come and go, I, I really want to, as, a, as somebody who has those needs a lot, I really want to encourage you to do that. Um, there's a, I, I identify as transgender, as non-binary, and I also identify as autistic. I didn't go to anyone to get those identifications. Um, they, um, there's a piece that comes with being transgender that is just about ubiquitous that is um, imposter syndrome. Um, that all your life, until you kind of found your way to it, you were not seen um, as who you are from infancy on. Um, And then as a trans non-binary person, I am still not seen for who I am. I come out every day multiple times. Um, As an autistic person who can kind of present and communicate in some way. Um, I'm often told either I don't seem autistic or um, I'm doing really well. Um, None of these help. Um, So what I've decided to do more and more because I am getting older and there's just no time like now is to present in a way in line with how I am inside. It's scary to do that. There's a prescribed way to give a presentation. I did it. I made a PowerPoint. Um, and um, I will do the PowerPoint because it's helpful and it's a bridge between my mind and yours Um, yet to do only that is kind of giving you only kind of half of the story you'll get it but not get the insides so I'm going to try to do both Um, I'm also like go to poetry things and like when I get stuck Everybody starts snapping their fingers. So if someone is out there doing that, you know, because they're like slams and you just come up with stuff and sometimes it's not there and everybody's like, you got it. So I'll take that. Um, 
by speaking and moving in a way that's um, kind of considered appropriate or expected or assumed, um, I end up leaving out what I think I really want you to know. Um, I want to share about the work I do with clients, the work in my community, um, and and, um, I wrote a few notes about this. When I talk about these things, I have a lot of feelings. Yesterday I was in session with a pretty new client I've seen about four times, uh, about 16, trans autistic. My clientele is mostly, includes several people who are regional center people, but they're mostly in that space that um, receives not nearly enough services, but is still considered kind of low, uh, low support needs. Many of them aren't diagnosed or identified as autistic until I see them at 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. Um, about, I say about half my clients are trans and half are, half are autistic, but there's such a huge overlap. I have a few outside. I have a, some CP clients and some others. They range from about eight years old to about 60. Um, so what I was saying, to this, this client came to me and they said, I have these enormous feelings. They have enormous anxiety, um, rumination, and they're so big, and they're just about something I saw or felt. And everybody's taught them various ways to try to reduce that, and they just said it's not working. And the thing I told her is, um, is that those will help. You can bleed it off some, but one thing that's going to help and it's going to take years is to kind of get big enough to hold much bigger. Um, and that's what I'm going to do now. So this is the feeling of what is coming through now. Who's, hey, okay. um, usually I have somebody I know, so I'm just going to count on you being people I know. Um, <laughs> this is the feeling, and it's been a hard week because I had clients in crises too, so there was less sleep, so you know what that does to being able to be resilient. Of being here and wishing to share this experience and being appreciative of who you are here doing this work. I sing, it has no words. My thoughts come without words, and then I have to make the words. It takes a longer. Oh, this is so important to me. It's so important, my clients. that you hear it with um, a great openness and also a forgiveness for the places that I stumble over. Um, one thing that's so important is to not have any assumptions about the person next to you, the person who walks in, even to the point of you don't know what their gender is. You may think you know what the gender is of the person in front of you or to the side of you, but if, you, if they haven't told you, you may not know, and you may not know their gender history. Um, I am going to begin this, this part, and there's a button. I am going to also allow my body to move. 
because I, um, I did an interview for Gender Spectrum. There was a videotape thing, and I watched, and I went, oh, no. There's like this happening. <laughs> I'm trying to find that button. Okay. <laughs> this is what my friends live with. Under the paper. Under the paper. Oh, your paper is Got hitting it. the button. Okay. There Thank you. you. Sorry. No problem. Danger. <laughs> the harms of living with, with or near me. Um, okay. I have lots to disclose, but nothing about financial things. <laughs> Um, somebody had a sign up over the men's bathroom at least that said gender neutral and I felt much more comfortable going in it this morning before it was ta- fell down got taken down later that's one thing I have to disclose it was much easier it's hard every time I go into a bathroom I only look neurotypical I don't know if I even do that anymore uh, that was the singing part That's getting bigger. It's the only thing that's really, really worked for me. Um, Here's some definitions. Because I am in the community, it's really important to me, both as a trans person and as a neuroqueer person, to use language that feels um, appropriate and um, honoring. So um, I'm going to go through some of the language I use. Um, you notice I don't use the word disorder. I don't use spectrum even, um, unless we can talk about what my daughter calls not the line but the infinite plane. I said it's like a circle, and uh, my kids are a little bit like me and a little not, but she's not a circle, Mom. It's an infinite plane. Uh, neurodiversity. So that's all of us. We have a big range of neurotypes in this room, and our neuro, and our neuro. Um, Cognitive sensory process changes over time. Neurotypical, I don't know where you want to draw the line, but you, um, but you can draw a line. Some people will do it at a standard deviation off of something, but there's so many things to count. Um, but I don't use the word normal, so it's neurotypical. Uh, Neurodivergent is um, anybody who falls on the other side of that line or wants to identify that way. Autistic is one, one way somebody can be, auti- be neurodivergent, and it's the way I'll talk about the most because it's the, it's the most, at least, awareness of transgender identities or gender nonconforming identities um, are in the autistic community and disabled. Um, Autistic people may or may not consider themselves disabled. They may consider themselves disabled in some areas and not in others. They may consider themselves disabled because of the environment they're in, not particularly about who they are. um, And I love that the, you know, I found this online. I wear a lot of t-shirts when I change in the gym locker room so that um, people know who I am. Um, and this one I found, it, it has the, um, the colors for the trans flag in the neuroqueer sign. Okay, some gender definitions. I think I was asked because this was perhaps not a, a group that knew as much about gender is to just to run through some of the things. So transgender is anyone whose self-identification doesn't match the um, sex they were assigned at birth or designated at birth by their parents, physician. Um, Cisgender 
is anyone whose identity matches that. So uh, there's, again, just as with neurotypical and neurodivergent, not, not normal um, folks. It's just, they are cisgender, or cis for short. Um, non-binary means you don't identify on either end of the binary, not male, not female. Um, and there are many, many non-binary identities. So if you have somebody come in and say they are uh, multi-gender, genderqueer, uh, agender, which is a, a fairly big one, um, those are all considered part of the um, non-binary group. There are more non-binary folks. Um, autistic people contribute more to the non-binary group um, and the agender group. Um, and gender non-conforming um, doesn't exactly count as transgender, um, but fits within the whole community in a way. Transgender in um, is, a, is an identity, while gender non-conforming may be the way you express yourself or your gender roles. Cross-dressers are people who identify with the sex they were assigned at birth and who um, part of their, their life and their experience is, is to cross-dress, whether they do that publicly or privately. And there's the whole big transgender umbrella, and there are many, many names. Um, the language changes frequently, so it's just super important to ask your clients ask your patients what, were, what names they use. Um, and sometimes we get like, we want to be cool and know the words, but they change. Um, and um, aren't, some aren't used anymore and considered just not right for people. Okay. So gender dysphoria is a diagnosis. Um, it's in the DSM, and it's the diagnosis that... Um, is a conflict between the gender assigned at birth and internally felt gender identity. It doesn't include gender nonconforming identity and behavior. That's gender expression. Um, it's associated with distress and, and possibly some functioning problems. Um, and it's currently a diagnosable condition for youth and adults. Uh, it, this, this diagnosis changes, I think, with every edition of the, of the DSM. Um, before it was gender identity disorder. Um, they took the disorder out of it because um, there was a strong argument that it's not a disorder, uh, but it's the experience of dysphoria. Um, and um, so it's currently diagnosable, and it's also it's, the diagnosis is needed for most medical and social transition steps. So hormones, surgeries, and also legal gender change. So therapists and physicians become gatekeepers to people's gender identity. Um, I'm going to go through a couple of the, some of the criteria. And um, it's different for adolescents and adults versus children. For adolescents and adults, you only need two of the criteria out of, and for six months. And I'm just going to click through them and drink some water and let you read them. I'm glad you're appreciating my presentation <laughs> style. <sighs> okay.
So notice they, were, they used the word other gender, and that has been a, a nice change um, rather than opposite gender. So that includes those non-binary people like me. Who, um, and for a long time, people would go into psychologist office and physician offices and perform a gender so that they could get their whatever they needed. And how they performed that gender was dress, act, do whatever they had, and, and the opposite of their assigned gender that didn't necessarily match who they were, even if they're binary, even if there's a trans woman uh, who doesn't really want to wear a dress. That's not the kind of trans woman they are. They would do some things for the doctor's office, at least, to do that. Also, for a long time, many, many uh, feigned heterosexuality when there's probably only a third of trans people, I think from the last study I read, about a third are heterosexual. Um, the, the rest is a whole mix of um, lesbian, gay, um, pansexual, and queer, and, age, and asexual. Um, gender dysphoria in children, you need six criteria for six months, and they're quite different. And sorry about the tiny print. I'm going to read this time because of that. Plastic cup because I knock over things, but I'm going to try. Somebody come and pick it up while I'm talking, though. Um, a strong desire to be of the other gender or an insistence that one is the other gender. Okay? That's fine. A strong preference for wearing clothes, typical of the opposite gender. Strong preference for cross gender roles in make believe play. A strong preference for toys, games, or activities stereotypically used or engaged in by the other gender. I wish they said another gender, a strong preference for playmates of the other gender, a strong rejection of toys, games, and activities typical of one's assigned gender, a strong dislike of one's sexual anatomy, a strong desire for the physical sex characteristics that match one's experienced gender. Okay, I'm going to come right back to that, but just, just think about that and think, what problems would these diagnostic criteria pose to assessing neurodivergent children? Or any children, really. So, let you look. I think it's kind. And many of you work with children. Um, is this something where, you know, I know it's a big group, but can it, anybody just mention something they see as might be an issue? Yeah. Right. Right. Is the gender problem or is the Right. Uh huh. Excellent example. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking too that uh, I bet kids learn a lot by how react, people react to things. And so, like when my son was playing with these girls, these cousins, he was little, they were all playing ballerina and stuff like that. Yeah. We didn't tell you about it. I bet some people give subtle nonverbal input that that doesn't 
team rides it and strikes. And then if you don't pick up on it, maybe you don't get it socialized or whatever. Right. So you may not pick up on it, too. And you also might not be interested in the, in the feedback you're getting. Exactly. It's like, but I want to wear this. Yeah, right, right, exactly. uh, and and uh, that feedback having less weight. Um, and I guess that's a, that's a piece I'd like to say a little bit about, because often in my speaking with um, many of my clients and people in the community, this kind of idea that of not being able to read social cues isn't the whole story. And another big piece of the story is we see what people are wanting, but it either doesn't seem interesting to us or it doesn't, it doesn't um, fit with principles of fairness or inclusiveness or something that they have that's a principle that's stronger. Um, it's, it's not always that they're not reading it. It may also be it doesn't really engage Okay. Um, transgender among autistic people. I had some fun way to do this. Um, and that is, okay, transgender, so the autistic community, somewhere about 1%. Um, in this country, it's kind of 0.5 to 2%, depending on which country you're getting your statistics from. So I did this fun little, probably a little bit geeky thing to find out the distribution of last names by first letters of the last name. And that is about the number of, of people whose last name starts with Z. Does anybody here last name start with Z? Arms up. Do we have any Zs? We're missing too small a sample size. <laughs> okay. Well, if it was, it would be one or two people in here, okay? Now, um, the, the population of those people who are transgender would be somewhere around 5 to 10%. So, mm, 5% would be people whose names start with W, X, Y, or Z. Any of you? Hands up. Okay, so kind of look around. That's the crew. So if you're all um, of the of autistic people, those those people with their hands up, that might be it. Okay, now I want to add the letter R. So letter R is add yourself. If you if you really need to stand up like I do, you could stand up, but stick it up and look around. Okay. So if you're serving autistic community, you're guessing like one in twenty, one in ten are likely transgender, okay? Um, onward, that little button. There are concerns about the screening tools and the methods used on this. Um, there's a continue, what, the most research is, that's being done is trying to nail down these percentages. There's only two studies. Here's the big problem. They both rely upon one question in the child behavior checklist that's filled out by their parents that says, do you wish to be the other um, sex? <laughs> this just leaves out tons. 
It leaves out all the things the kid hasn't told the parent. It leaves out all the denial the parent has. It leaves out all the non-binary people. It leaves out that the kid might not have the language or the understanding to say something like that. Um, this is a little different, and um, it's, there are more studies in this autism among the transgender population. So, um, does anybody here want to stand up? We'll see. We'll see. I like to stand up for a change, but okay. Autistic in the general, um, so transgender people, less than autistic, about 0.7% maybe, though that's increasing amongst younger people. Um, Letter I, anybody name start with the letter I, last name? Stand up, please, if so. We got one? Okay. It's too small. <laughs> okay, this might change it, though. The highest um, bunch, the highest um, level that we've gotten in the survey, the highest prevalence is if everybody whose name starts with U, V, W, X, Y, Z, M, or C raise their hands, that would be the autistic folks amongst the transgender community. So that's a lot more, huh? That's why the trans um, providers are really up on, we need help, because they didn't have any training in working with autistic people, and they are, they are identifying right and left. Many of them aren't identified. Um, I know I'm talking more about what I call lower support needs, um, autistic people, and I'd like to really, I think a lot of this applies, but there's differences we need to think about in, in um, helping people communicate their, their gender to us. Um, when I get the questions about why are so many autistic, I mean, how many, why are so many trans people autistic, I, I often come back with, how come so few neurotypical people are transgender? <laughs> you know? What's up with that? And why are so few cisgender people autistic? And you'd think it's the same research question, but it's not quite. This is Lydia XC Brown, who's just a phenomenal educator, activist, writer, autistic, uh, non-binary, just put out a book, which is so great, an edited anthology called The Weight of Our Dreams about about racialized autism. Um, And they say, I've started referring to myself as gender vague, a specifically neurodivergent experience of transgender identity. For many of us, gender holds little intrinsic meaning. Being autistic doesn't cause my gender identity, but it's inextricably related to how I understand and experience gender. Okay. So, now we know. <laughs> We're here. What do we do? So, the first I have is to shift your expectations. You have met transgender people if you don't think you've met transgender people. Um, So just for a little thought experiment, um, you may know the person sitting next to you so that you can pick somebody you don't know that's nearby you. And you don't have to even talk to them. Just notice what you've assumed about their gender. Okay? We all do it. I do it 
and I try to not do it. Uh, and so how did you make that assumption? Uh, is there any way that you know you're right? <laughs> Anybody other than laughing like, oh, how would I? Um, I, uh, I frequently have issues going into either bathroom or locker room, and often it, the polite way people say it to me is, am I in the wrong bathroom? <laughs> so they're looking at me, and they're trying to figure it out. Um, or maybe you've got into the wrong one, and um, you just don't know unless someone tells you what their gender or their gender history is. Uh, for some people, transition, depending on when they transition, and also um, their, their direction of the transition and their genetics, you won't know. You just won't know unless you know them personally. Other people, you make guesses based upon kind of markers that we have in our head about what is male or female. Uh, this is kind of the bane of the existence of of trans folks, and particularly, you know, the adolescents I work with. Uh, one, be, one, because they want to be seen as who they are, not, that they, not for their transgender history, but just for the gender identity that they have. And two, because it's scary. Um, there is danger of violence, there's bullying, there's threatening, it's a huge, it's a, um, the minority stress is really large. Okay. When I look up um, transgender, just do a Google search, half of them are bathroom pictures. Okay, button. So practice not assuming. Ask everyone their pronouns. Thank you, Galen, for asking all the presenters their pronouns. Um, And that may feel kind of awkward when you think you know someone is cisgender binary and you think you have it figured out by the way they're dressing and everything. And it may make that other person look at you kind of strangely, like, why are you asking me my pronoun? Um, But it gives you a little chance to do a little bit of education with that person. And that may help for the next trans or non-binary person they meet. You don't know someone's gender until they tell you, and they have to feel safe to tell you. Um, Question all the gender roles that, that make you make those assumptions. Um, so the first is just shift. And shift is huge. You know, we talk about it, but it's a big thing to walk down the street, practice it when you leave, when you go to your car, walk and just go, I don't know. With everybody who comes into your office, I don't know. Uh, that makes it so much safer for the folks I work with. It changes your first questions. It changes your your intake form. Um, It changes what you train your office staff to say to someone when they come in. Um, It knocks down the stress level a lot. Um, Next is be prepared. And I put up this because I don't know what people remember, but a few years ago um, somebody made a donation to the Western Washington Girl Scouts, and it was 100000 but only if, it, if they didn't accept any trans girls. And they were prepared. 
They, they didn't think about it long. They immediately said no, and they put up a, a GoFundMe or Indiegogo thing. And this was it, to raise 100000 for every girl. So they were prepared. They had already done some training, somebody, some people in their group. They, another way to be prepared is read autistic blogs and materials, read things written by people who are. Um, same thing, read, read trans blogs and materials. And if you go on Tumblr, the, you, all you have to do is, is type autism trans, and you'll get a whole bunch of people talking. Develop relationships, join consult teams with trans um, providers, and have resources ready for clients and their families. Make your workplace gender inclusive. That, com- that includes your intake forms, your website, the, the uh, pronouns you use when talking about anybody, um, and um, your bathrooms. So one of the, the important thing is to make the first move. You want, it's up to them, it's up to your clients to tell you whatever they, they want to tell you about their, their private experience. But we're all looking for signs that our providers are trans-friendly. Um, look for signs on the website before ever entering the thing. Um, and we're looking for signs around the room. And we're looking for those basic things, like asking pronouns. Um, here are some great first moves. Um, have images and materials that, that make it clear that you understand trans issues. Um, even if, you're, if your client or patient has a legal name, you may ask them, what name do you like to use? Um, let if you have a, a population, you know, of any kind, but particularly autistic, but I think it's anybody, just letting them know that it's really common for people to be transgender and non-binary. It's particularly common in the autistic community. Um, if you're working with children or with people who are just being supported along the way, or the children of your of your trans parents. Um, There's some work to do around normalizing the transgender and nonconforming identities and behaviors and expressions, making a safe space for the parents and guardians to go through their, their own trans issues, their own fears, their feelings of loss that they lost, the, the gender child they thought they had. Uh, that may be in addition to if they had loss around their child's disabilities, um, their neurotype. Um, make that a space that's safe for the parents, but also safe for the child, meaning the child shouldn't be in there. Uh, support individuals in communicating their experiences, needs, and desires. Um, I think in the rest of the conf- this conference, there's, there's just been so many good examples of how to like assist with um, with pictures, with um, with creating stories uh, and sh- sharing materials that will help 
you talk about this other person's experience in a way that they can um, that they can jump on and say, "Oh, that's kind of like me, but that part's not like me." Uh, and then there's work to do on educating around options. Um, working as a provider who serves um, developmentally disabled, uh, intellectually de- developmentally disabled people. Um, neurodivergent people. You've got a lot to do already. There's a whole lot of different people to talk to. You're not just, it's, it's not the simplest population. Um, trans, serving trans people is a lot like that too. You need to talk with um, endocrinologists. You need to talk with, um, with um, parents a lot more. You need to talk with education um, providers a lot too. So it, it's a very collaborative work and you're also ta- talking with a lot of other providers and there are resources. So um, I, I, in the book you got, there's a couple pages of really great resources um, to share with people. And I touched on this. There's, um, there's a lot of teamwork involved. Um, I usually have psychiatrists, parents if they're involved, school people, primary care people, and gender care specialists, and maybe some support group or somebody who's helping them get their legal forms going. Uh, In the group that you work with, you may be the person who knows, even if you think I just went to a few presentations, you may know more about um, transgender issues than anybody else in the room. It just may happen. Um, I thought there would be a lot more people who knew a lot about this when I started, because this was second or third profession for me. And they weren't. Um, there's a huge cost for not responding to gender dysphoria. There's a huge um, suicidality uh, rate and huge depression and anxiety. Um, that's on top of whatever else they're experiencing as um, autistic or um, intellectually developmentally um, disabled people. So... Um, it's really important to take your role as educator to the other um, people on the team seriously. Um, there isn't a lot of time to waste with adolescents often. They're in panic. They usually hit puberty and go into panic. Um, and I don't think I need to say this. This is the most like client-centered civil rights kind of group I've been in to present. Advocate is a Big part of the job, I may actually get a Twitter account. I am one of those autistic <laughs> people. <laughs> I don't even have Facebook. I didn't do MySpace. I'm pretty old. Um, and it scares me like walking into Costco. Um, uh, set aside the transition script. This is Eddie Redmayne doing trans woman and the Danish girl. Um, set aside the man in the woman's body, the woman in the man's body. Set aside there's clothing and hair and choices that fit this normative gender expression. Set aside that a name and gender marker change has to accompany every trans identity. Set aside the expectation that they participate in support groups or events that's overwhelming for most of us um, and assist people with their challenges. Um, so physically, I work with all my clients who are um, going, going to um, do hormones or hormone blockers or surgeries 
to work with their physical sensitivities. Um, they usually are hypersensitive and scared of getting shots. Uh, physical exams are nightmares. Um, I'm so glad uh, Dora and uh, Clarissa are presenting. I have used their, their um, healthcare toolkit since it came out, I think. As soon as I found it on Autism Women's Network, it's just really, really helpful. So you'll hear more about that. Um, Walk them through what's going to happen. That means you may need to talk with the endocrinologist or people to be able to anticipate and tell them more and draw the pictures or map it out what's going to happen. Um, and um, I've run into parents who have said, my kid's not really, I don't think they're really into it because um, they're not really working on getting their papers in for their name and gender change. They, well, they have trouble with their papers with everything. Um, and... So there's there's just work making phone calls in the office with them to the next step, doing the kind of like social work work. Um, crisis care. Part of why I'm like this today is I've had crises this week, which is not uncommon. Um, adolescents show up for the first meeting in crises or high urgency usually. It's not the story of the five-year-old, you know, who knew, or the three-year-old. It sometimes is, but usually with my autistic clients, it's somewhere around 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. That happens with, with cisgender uh, neurotypical people, I mean, uh, transgender neurotypical people, too, because puberty kind of goes, oh, my God, I was ignoring it, and now I can't. Um, but they're in panic, and it needs to change right away. They got online. They, found, they talked with friends. They found out what, what could happen. They told their parents they need it to happen now, and um, they're starting to, to really get panic attacks more than they got before, really depressed, isolate. You need to assess for suicidality. Um, and often you need to work hard to speed up things, which means doing really getting the parents on board faster than they want to be. You may need to spend more time assessing. It's sometimes harder to assess because you may not be able to communicate. Um, every, every autistic person, every neurodivergent person is different. And even if I am, I don't necessarily know how to communicate and understand what they're trying to tell me always. And it takes me longer. I usually, if I can do it, I schedule another session sooner rather than wait till the next one because they are panicking. Um, and it's not uncommon to have to really look at hospitalization and residential work. And this is where I had this word, help, uh, appeal. Help! It's horrible. They're, they, as whether teen or young adult or older adult, they will not go, they will not go, because nobody can handle their sensitivities in the, in the um, 5150, and they freak out, and the police do something to them, and no, they will not go because they don't understand, and then um, it's the hardest thing, and there, there are very few residential care um, programs that understand trans or autistic, and they, I've, had, I've been pulling kids back after treatment after a hospitalization, um, and I want to be able to feel like I can safely send somebody somewhere. It makes it a very difficult place for me as a clinician. So if anybody here is in a position to talk with me about what we can do about hospitalizations or residential treatment, I'd love that. Uh, and here are the questions I always get. And I, yeah, good, it's my last slide. Um, 
good because it says two minutes and 24 seconds. <laughs> and I did that. Is it an obsession? Um, so a lot of the first study, first, not studies, they weren't studies at all. They were some, there were people saying, there are these, there's this much higher percentage of, of trans, people saying they're transgender among the autistic, our autistic clients, and that can't be because it's just when you look at something and it's more than it should be, they, they, you tend to take those extra and say, that's because they're whatever the other thing they are. Okay? And so they think, what could it be? Well, they, they're really obsessed about their transgender identity. Well, if you've known somebody in transition, we all get obsessed about our transgender <laughs> transition. It becomes a big, big thing in your head. So, and also, of the obsessions, it's, well, if you were going to obsess on something, it's a very, there are much easier things to do. Uh, this one has tons of risk and pain and difficulty. Um, you may need to talk about, you may need to talk longer. Like if they're obsessed about a particular character, somebody said, they're dressing up as and everything, then you need to find out whether they're dressing up as that person because that person has, in that character has given them permission to dress this way and nobody else has, or whether they just love that character and want to dress just like that character. But you can find that out by spending time and exploring that with them. Um, uh, is it sensory seeking behavior because you like shiny I've seen this printed um, and it infuriates me but it, the shiny fabric and everything explains the autistic trans women but not the autistic trans men um, so that I, I'm shooting these down kind of fast um, the sensory seeking one especially um, are they able to make this decision with everybody else developmental um, specialist. With everybody, you need to take the time to have the communication to really understand. Um, I'm out of time on that one, B. That's me. I am writing a book on this. It's probably about a year and a half out, um, so that's my little... You can find me. It's in the thing. Thank you very much for... You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.